One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Tamara Thomas, editor in chief of UrbanHealthToday.com, part of the Dockwire family of medical news sites. And I want to thank you for tuning in to Urban Health Weekly. Our goal each week is to keep you informed of the latest in health and medical news right from today's headlines. It's time to empower yourself with open conversations about your medical care with news that matters to you. So are you ready? Let's get started. This is Urban Health Today, and I'm speaking with Alina Chekai, Vice President of Strategic Partnerships at Cohere Health. She's here to talk about a new CMS initiative that will improve patient access to care while decreasing provider and payer burden through enhanced prior authorization. Thanks for speaking with me today, Alina. Thanks so much for having me, Tamara. Great to be here. So let's get started. Um, please talk about your background with CMS and your work with Cohere Health. Sure. So my my background is in health policy. Um, I studied health policy in undergrad. Um, I was like many other um, college students who initially went into school thinking they were pre-med. And I realized... I didn't want to spend four years taking biochemistry and chemistry classes that just didn't really hold my interest. Um, I knew from a, a young age that my passion was for healthcare. Um, and so that's kind of how I found my way to public health. So studied public health in undergrad um, and then went on to uh, get my master's in health policy, public health um, at the George Washington University. Um, so throughout my career, I've I've kind of seen myself as a connector in the industry. Um, I enjoy working with you know stakeholders across the delivery system, whether it's patient advocacy groups, that's where I started my career, um, to health systems, insurers, innovators. Um, and so had a, a start of my career um, in the nonprofit space, in the in the startup space. And then went to work for CMS um, in 20, I think it was 2019 or so, um, and started at CMS as um, uh, working at the Innovation Center. So the CMMI Innovation Center works on developing models to basically test new value-based payment methodologies um, in the Medicare program. And so at CMMI, I was working on the rural model um, portfolio, so developing payment models and programs that could be implemented in rural communities. Um, really enjoyed my time at the Innovation Center, um, but then had the opportunity to move over to work for Administrator Verma. Um, and so my role working with the administrator was effectively to be kind of her liaison with the healthcare industry, so kind of tapping into my my pure love of working with stakeholders across the delivery system. Um, and so when there was a proposed rule or an issue that the agency was looking at, um, I was the, the voice of the agency in working with these different groups, getting their stakeholder feedback, um, getting their view from their unique perspective in the delivery system, and ultimately ensuring that um, their perspectives were incorporated in policy design. Um, and so had the opportunity to, to work with the administrator and her team on what was her initiative at the time, um, improving um, patient access to care, 
um, the Patients Over Paperwork Initiative that was really focused on reducing physician burnout, reducing uh, barriers to patient access to care, um, and hosted a number of listening sessions and different forums uh, where we heard, you know, front front hand from um, patients who were at the the challenge of prior authorization and weren't able to get their medications on time because of the the arduous process of prior authorization, or patients who had to. Um, almost ration their medications because they weren't sure when they'd be hearing back from their insurance company um, about their prior auth request being approved. Um, heard from physicians who, you know, they had employed staff um, who would be working on submitting prior authorizations day in and day out. Um, so just kind of the challenges with this process from each different stakeholder group. Um, and so when I left the agency, in uh, 2020, 2021, gosh, time is flying, but I knew that I wanted to go to an organization, you know, that was a high growth company. I missed the startup energy. Um, and so I knew I wanted to go to a company that was really focused on changing the underlying infrastructure of our delivery system. So there's so many impressive, cool digital health companies out there. Um, but what I loved about Cohere is that it's really focused on starting with prior authorization. So a process that no matter what kind of patient you are, no matter what specialty care or primary care you're using, chances are your care needs to go through a prior authorization request. And it's a process that each stakeholder group, right, health plans, patients, and physicians can agree needs to be improved. And so I immediately was hooked by uh, Cohere being focused on, on this problem. Um, but then of course, when I got to meet the, the leadership team, um, the really smart folks working at the organization, I decided this is my next, this is my next adventure. Um, so I've been with Cohere for a bit over two years now. Um, I've seen tremendous growth, you know, throughout the organization. I think when I started, I was maybe the 120th employee, uh, but now we're over 600 employees. Um, you know, we're, we're Boston-based, but we have a, a remote, very diverse workforce. Um, some of the smartest folks that I've come across in the delivery system. Um, and we're all mobilized by um, our mission to really improve access to care for patients, reducing physician burden, reducing physician burnout, um, and ultimately enabling health plans to do what they do best, right? Taking out some of the complex and um, arduous functions that they had been been managing, um, helping them to improve um, improve their efficiency, helping them to improve their workflows. Um, you know, we all know that healthcare is is a really complicated process when it comes to revenue cycle management and how healthcare is really paid for. Um, but we think if we're able to help streamline this process, um, we can have a, a better focus on quality. We can have a better focus on um, reducing unnecessary cost, unnecessary fraud, waste, and abuse. Um, and so that that is our focus. That's what we um, work on day in and day out. Um, and that's why I'm really proud to be a part of the, the Cohere team. 
Uh, my role in particular um, is vice president of strategic partnerships. So I'm responsible for thinking through, you know, what are organizations outside of our traditional customer base, which is health plans, um, that we can partner with. So it might be other digital health innovators that we develop um, collaborative strategic partnerships with. Um, you know, it might be at-risk primary care groups or value-based um, specialty care groups um, who have a different model, right, for, for caring for their patient population, um, but also are impacted by prior authorization. So that kind of goes back again to my just love of working with um, innovators and individuals and organizations across the delivery system um, and really being able to find kind of creative collaborations. Um, and so just absolutely love my role and excited to share more about what we're doing. Can you talk about CMS, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services um, for Medicare Advantage, State Medicaid and CHIP? What, what, what is the problem they're trying to address with this new initiative? Sure. So uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, so CMS, you know, in government, we we love our acronyms, mm -hmm. um, but CMS is an agency under the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services um, that is primarily focused on the Medicare program, Medicaid, uh, Medicare Advantage, other managed programs, um, and they have a responsibility to basically protect taxpayer funds as it's used um, you know, in, in support of these programs. And so CMS is, is constantly thinking through ways, how can we save taxpayer funds, right? But more importantly, how can we ensure that the care that is being delivered to these patient populations is high quality, um, is safe, right? Is protecting patient privacy, patient rights, um, is not putting unnecessary burden on the physician community, the nursing community, nursing homes. Um, and so CMS from, from my time at the agency was very focused on um, improving prior authorization. Um, and they had a proposed rule, which ultimately was pushed out right at the end of the Trump administration. Um, it was kind of hastily moved through the the rulemaking process, um, there were concerns, you know, about that haste. Um, and so ultimately it was withdrawn. And then a new proposed rule was released um, this past fall, uh, which Cohere was, was pleased to submit comments to the agency on. Um, but what you see there is prior authorization, interoperability, these issues are issues that uh, both sides of the aisle can agree on, right? It was during the Trump administration that something was proposed, and then during the Biden administration that the torch has kind of been carried. Um, in any administration, you'll have your political leadership. So the head of HHS and you know other leaders there are political appointees um, by the president. Um, same with CMS under HHS, a number of the leaders are political appointees. Uh, but the majority of people in uh, the agencies and in the departments are civil servants. So they are non-political individuals. They are there regardless of who's in office, a Republican or a Democrat. And they're the, they're the subject matter experts um, developing these proposed rules most of the time. They're the ones carrying the torch from agency to agency. Um, and so the, the people really who were writing the proposed rule um, in the Trump administration 
it's a lot of the same people. And so what's terrific about that is, you know, they're able to take in feedback that they get, um, you know, that they got during the, the Trump administration, and they were able to incorporate that um, in the new proposed rule under the Biden administration. Um, and so what we're seeing now across the delivery system is much more, I would say, stakeholder support for this proposed rule. Um, the health plan community in, in particular had concerns about um, the mostly the implementation uh, period of time that was proposed in, in the Trump rule. Um, but now what we're seeing is a lot of their concerns have been remedied um, in this new proposed rule. So currently the agency is reviewing comments that were submitted during the uh, proposed rulemaking process. Um, they'll be reviewing each and every comment. They really do read all of them. Uh, they'll be addressing them where necessary and incorporating that feedback into the final rule, uh, which we can expect to be released um, later later this year. Um, and I'm happy to, to share a bit about the specifics in that proposed rule, if, if helpful. Yes, please. Sure. So like I said, you know, prior authorization is a process that has been around for a long, long time. Um, it's one of many levers that health plans use um, to uh, be able to improve the uh, revenue cycle management process. It's a lever that health plans use to reduce unnecessary utilization, unnecessary spend. Um, and ultimately this proposed rule is um, requiring the use of electronic prior authorization um, by health plans and the physicians in their network. And so what that really means is the agency is encouraging the delivery system to move away from you know, the old fax machine process, move away from the very transaction-minded process, and move toward a process that is technology-enabled, uh, move toward a process that is supported by interoperability, um, and one that makes the prior authorization process dynamic. Um, and that's something that we at Cohere are focused on day in and day out. So, um, you know, we're, we're very proud that we're already meeting, if not exceeding, a lot of the requirements that, that CMS is outlining in the proposed rule. Um, our core solution is intelligent digital prior authorization. Um, we have, um, you know, enabled a solution that um, supports automatic decisioning um, that significantly reduces the amount of time that a physician and their staff spend on administrative processes like prior authorization. Um, and we're also able to have a technology that is matching up the prior authorization process with the best and the best in um, evidence-based medicine. So we partner with organizations like the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, the American College of Cardiology, um, to ensure that the standards and the, the clinical guidelines that we have in our technology meet the evidence base. Um, and so that in turn allows for care that is very high quality, that is making prior author authorization decisions on evidence-based medicine. Um, and so again, as the, the key part of this proposed rule is moving the system toward um, digital prior authorization. You know, we 
we'd like to think that we've been in this space a little bit. Um, and so we were um, happy to offer um, some of our perspective to the agency and, and to offer um, some of our thoughts. Um, so one of the big provisions in this proposed rule um, was the prior authorization requirements, documentation, and decision API. Um, so under this new proposed rule, um, payers would need to build and maintain a fast healthcare interoperability resources, also known as FIRE, um, application programming interface. So an API that effectively automates the process, again, for providers to determine prior authorization. Uh, requirements, documentation, and decision guidelines. Um, and so by having these APIs, the goal here is to really reduce providers' prior authorization burnout, um, ensure patients, providers, and, and health plans can all access the appropriate information to make informed, efficient care decisions. Um, just to and be clear, course, are we talking about, I'm, I'm sorry to, to interrupt, but are we sure. talking about CMS right now or are we talking about Cohere? Because I know Cohere has some proposals of their own. Are we talking about CMS right now? Yeah. So talking okay, about um, what's in the CMS right. proposed rule and then kind of how, how Cohere thinks about it. Uh, it. And so, you know, with, with this provision of the rule, we're super supportive of it. We think the agency is, um, you know, taking a, a great step toward automating prior authorization. Um, you know, again, our solution is already doing that today. So we're digitizing the authorization process um, across different channels, whether it's fax, web portals, EHRs, um, to really unify previous siloed healthcare data. Um, and then another key provision of the proposed rule um, is in regards to denial reasons. So sometimes if a patient um, under kind of traditional utilization management um, a patient might go in for care and their physician and the staff, you know, will submit um, an authorization request and it might be denied for a reason that never gets back to the patient, um, which is really frustrating and can certainly, um, you know, result in a patient um, abandoning their, their care altogether. If I go into the physician's office and, and they say your health plan is not going to pay for this, that's a really frustrating process and, and something that, you know, we believe patients and their physicians have should have full transparency um, into understanding, you know, what is covered under their policy um, and if care is in fact denied, um, why and what could be a better um, a better route for that patient. So under the CMS proposed rule, um, payers will now need to include a specific reason uh, when a prior authorization request is denied. Um, and again, the whole purpose of this is to really facilitate better communication and understanding between the payer and the provider. Um, and if necessary, you know, result in a, a new submission of an authorization request. Um, and, you know, Cohere's, of course, very supportive of this measure that the um, that the agency is taking. Mm -hmm. uh, we think this level of transparency is super important. Um, patients should feel empowered in their care decisions. They should know, um, you know, what's what's going on. Um, and today, our our platform is already doing this. Um, so, if care is denied or if it's pended, um, you know, we give very specific reasons for denials. Um, so a physician, you know, can can determine the best next step. So a patient feels involved in their care. 
Um, and we're also publishing, um, we publish our decision and care path guidelines for users. So, you know, you can't have a, an interoperable healthcare system without peer transparency. Um, and so we think this, this step um, is one in, in the right direction. And then another key provision that the agency um, outlined in this proposed rule is prior authorization timeframes. Um, and so the effort here from the agency is to basically ensure that patients have a decision um, about their care in a much faster period of time. Um, and so right now the agency is proposing um, that a payer needs to send their prior authorization decision within 72 hours for an expedited or urgent case and within seven calendar days for standard, you know, non-urgent requests. Um, and so today, health plans oftentimes have different, um, you know, different turnaround times for decisioning. And so the effort here is to really streamline that. And, and if you think about it from a health equity standpoint, you know, it's it's ensuring that no matter who you are, where you live, who your health plan is, um, you know, your care will be um, at the same standard of um, turnaround time for, you know, someone across the country or someone with a, a different health insurance plan. Um, and so we think this is a step in the right direction, um, but seven days or, you know, 72 hours for an expedited urgent case that's still a lot of time. Um, and so we think that instead of focusing on hours or days, um, we think the focus should be on automation. Um, you know, our, our core solution is, is focused on delivering automatic decisions when appropriate. Um, and we think that at least 60 to 70% of authorization requests should be instantaneously adjudicated. And again, that's empowered by technology, empowered by tools like, like what Cohere offers, um, because that allows the patient to proceed to that next step in their care journey. If you have you know, a very serious medical event and you need attention, hours are really important. Um, you know, the American Medical Association, um, you know, they've, they've, done a number of surveys with physicians and, and they've reported that 93% of physicians have surveyed, or excuse me, have reported care delays associated with prior authorizations. Um, so there's care delays, you know, there's patients potentially abandoning treatment, there's adverse medical events. Um, and so now we have a, a really critical opportunity to shape policy that better sets up patients and their providers for success. Um, and so we think, you know, new and improved turnaround time requirements can serve as a driver for really decreasing provider burden, ensuring patients have better access to care. Um, and again, you know, forward thinking payers, they're already investing in intelligent technology that provides automatic decisioning that really streamlines the prior authorization process. Um, and so we would just encourage, again, the agency to, to be focused more on, on the automation piece than the, you know, days, hours, because if we take that, if we take that approach, um, you know, we're, we're going to be left in the same old transactional UM system that, that we've been in. Um, but still, you know, improved turnaround times is a step in the right direction. 
Um, and then CMS also talked about gold carding programs. And so gold carding is effectively, um, you know, giving providers um, waived um, prior authorization. Um, and so we think that while that's well-intended, um, gold carding programs can potentially increase authorization complexity, um, effectively hindering one of the payer's important tools for impacting value and, and quality. Um, and so we recognize at Cohere that the key role of providers, you know, in interoperability is so important. Um, and we're concerned that manual processes will still persist if the use of new technology isn't incentivized more. So this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June too is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Instead of gold carding, um, you know, we believe green carding, uh, excuse me, green lighting um, is a better way to incentivize providers. Um, and, and really rewarding high-performing physicians. Um, so with the approach of green lighting, um, it really affords them reduced administrative burden, even faster authorizations where clinically appropriate, kind of like a, a fast, fast track, you know, no red lights. Um, and so we think that once providers implement these new capabilities into their workflows, you know, providers consistently use electronic prior authorization systems. And then finally, another and, and final key provision of the proposed rule is around prior authorization metrics. Um, so under the proposed rule, impacted payers will need to publicly report certain prior authorization metrics by posting them directly on their website um, or publicly um, accessible hyperlinks. Um, and we're very supportive of this policy. You know, again, we are supportive of the push for greater transparency in the care delivery system. Um, transparency, again, is, is super important for interoperability, progressing toward value-based care, um, and ultimately having prior authorization processes that meet the needs of patients, providers, and health plans. Um, you know, today we're already supporting this type of transparency um, between health plans and their network. Um, we deliver things like scorecards on a quarterly basis to our health plan partners. Um, and we think this is a really important step to ensuring that providers and their health plans have understand how they can continually improve 
and deliver um, better care. Um, you know, there are some some vendors out there um, that are a bit concerned about other vendors embedding embedding their content. Um, so we just, you know, encourage the agency to to keep an open mind when reviewing feedback and and comments on the proposed rule. Um, to ensure there is that proliferation of transparency in the system, to ensure there's not information blocking, to ensure there's not kind of monopolistic approaches, um, because all, all stakeholders need to be on the same page. There needs to be transparency as we move forward um, under this, this new rule. So walk me through an example of how this should work. Pick a claim um, and then walk me through what this, this looks like now or what yeah. Like. Absolutely. So let's use um, let's use a, a knee surgery as an example. So let's say um, you know Mrs. Jones goes into her physician's office. She's been having knee pain for quite some time, and her physician um, then submits an authorization for knee surgery. Um, I'm not a physician. I have a background in, in public health. Uh, so we're just going to use very basic terms um, for the viewers or for the listeners, yeah. excuse me. Um, and so let's say Mrs. Jones, um, you know, her authorization for knee surgery has been submitted, but she's never done uh, conservative care. So she's never tried physical therapy for her knee pain, or she's never uh, received a um, steroid injection for her pain. Um, so as the back office staff at the orthopedist's office is submitting this auth request, um, you know, because our solution is intelligent, technology enabled, um, we're dynamic, right? So traditionally, a UM solution would review the request and then review the guidelines and say, you know what, Mrs. Jones has never um, received physical therapy. I'm, we're going to deny this request. Uh, but that makes the approach to healthcare very yes and no. Uh, we know not all you know, healthcare decisions are, are that binary. So in our solution, we're able to surface recommendations based on the evidence base that would get Mrs. Jones the right next step in her care while ensuring that it's going to produce quality results, it's going to improve her her um, her medical state, and so we're able to surface options like, hey, you know, Mrs. Jones um, has not completed the required physical therapy in order to have surgery. You know, this is required by her health plan. It's recommended as best practices by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. If you proceed with requesting um, this surgery authorization, you know, it's going to be pended for review and then it will go to a peer-to-peer. -peer. Or if you'd like to have an automatic decision and know today what's next in her care journey, we recommend you switch this request to a physical therapy request, right? Our whole approach is to getting, getting the patient to a yes, right? Getting the patient to know what's next in his or her care journey, um, while avoiding those painful, you know, frustrating, annoying denials. Um, so then Mrs. Jones will then be able to um, get scheduled for her physical therapy. She'll proceed in that, um, in that 
approach, uh, let's say, you know, a few weeks go by, her pain hasn't, hasn't subsided. She goes back to her surgeon and her surgeon says, you know what? You tried physical therapy. I don't think that was the right next step for you. Um, we're able to pick back up on the care path where the patient left off, right? And determine, help the help the physician's office determine what's the next best plan of treatment. Is it going in for imaging to determine um, if there's something else going on? Is it getting the patient worked up for surgery? Um, and we're able to ensure again that this whole process is taking into consideration not only what the health plan requires and what the health plan will pay for, um, but what's the best, best, you know, for evidence-based medicine. Um, and then, you know, you asked, how should this process work? So that is kind of from a, a clinical standpoint, from a patient um, journey standpoint. Um, but if you think about, you know, what's happening from the health plan standpoint, they're able to save, um, you know, administrative dollars just by working with an intelligent prior authorization solution. Um, but then they're also um, enjoying incremental medical expense savings by reducing care that's not clinically appropriate, right? So it wouldn't have been appropriate for Mrs. Jones to go straight to surgery, you know, skipping over um, conservative care. So by rerouting her onto, um, onto a process that's you know, more clinically appropriate, there's going to be reduced unnecessary medical spend. Um, and so again, you know, we, we see ourselves sitting almost in the, the triangle of the physician and their staff, the patient and the health plan, and really pulling levers that improve the process for all. Um, so we're really proud of, of the fact that, um, you know, 92% of providers who use our solution are satisfied. Um, you know, we're able to um, deliver four days faster access to care for patients. And then when it comes to med expense savings, we're delivering between 25 to 40% reduction um, in costs associated with prior authorization. So making all, you know, three of those stakeholder groups happy and, um, you know, enjoying a, a process that is so old, so antiquated, but is finally being revitalized um, and supported by technology. And so the, the proposed rule from CMS helps uh, innovators like Cohere, um, you know, to, to have standards that, again, we're, we're typically exceeding them, um, but it, it brings to the market, hey, you know, these are the new rules of engagement when it comes to prior authorization. Physicians deserve better, health plans deserve better, patients deserve better. Um, and so really it's up to a, a lot of the innovators like Cohere um, to help the health plans get to that point, right? Where they can meet yeah. the compliance and the proposed rule requirements. So just to, to, to circle back, just so I, I make sure I understand it. So the AI recommends to the physician before they go um, to the surgery route, for example, mm -hmm. hey, um, before you submit this authorization for surgery, why not try uh, conservative care such as physical therapy or injections first and submit a claim for that for prior authorization? 
Okay, and so that's a it's a more gradual escalation then, uh, depending on exactly. how other patients needs. Okay, I understand. Thank you. And yeah, you bet. And so you're absolutely right. You know, it starts with kind of a questionnaire process that in the technology, the back office staff is you know responding to, you know, is the patient's pain. Uh, radiating up and down her leg, or is it on her left side, right? Like asking different questions. Um, but then our technology too has gotten, you know, really sophisticated where in addition to ingesting these questions, we're also applying AI machine learning to the clinical notes, right? So we're able to capture um, what it says in the actual clinical note, you know, our technology can, can read the handwriting and all of the, all of the, um, detail in those notes and also apply that then to the decisioning. So our approach really is to ensure that we're getting all the information we can to help the technology make the most informed decision. Um, and then of course, you know, if there is a situation where, Let's say Mrs. Jones, you know, her her physician's office doesn't want to proceed with physical therapy. Maybe she has bone on bone. Maybe there's some clinical reason why she's, you know, not a, an appropriate candidate for that. Then the request will go to our physicians, our nurses on staff to really dive deeper into that case. Um, sometimes they might need to go back to the physician's, you know, office and say, you know, hey. We saw, um, you know, the patient had an image done a few months ago. Could we take a look at that as clinical justification? Um, or, you know what, it's time to schedule a peer-to-peer. -peer. So we'll get one of our orthopedists on the phone connected with, you know, that physician's office. And they'll have a, a collegial conversation about that patient. Um, and there'll, you know, be an opportunity to add more color to the case. Um, and if, you know, appropriate to proceed with surgery, um, those physicians on, on the phone together will make that decision. Um, so we use various, you know, approaches, all ensuring that, you know, there's the right information. We're ensuring that it's the most clinically appropriate care, ensuring that we're still being, you know, good stewards of health plan dollars or Medicare dollars, um, and getting, getting the most appropriate outcome for that patient at the end of the day. Does the patient have access to this um, information along the way? Is there a portal or? or so is... today we do not have a portal mm -hmm. um, for the patients, um, but we do encourage the physician and their staff to use the information that we're presented and use it as an opportunity for a conversation uh, with their patient. I think a lot of times, you know, we, we have all kinds of digital health solutions and point solutions that are available to patients, right? How many, I don't even know how many apps I have on my phone that, um, you know, are seeking to accomplish that. Um, but what we've observed is, you know, it can be challenging to present complex medical information to a patient um, without a bit more context from a physician or a nurse or a partner who can really help them understand that. Um, so today, you know, our, our um, approach is again, ensuring that physicians are having those, you know, back and forth uh, collaborative conversations with their patients about their care. Um, and, you know, we, we also provide kind of tools and approaches 
um, to support the patients, or excuse me, to support the providers' conversations. Um, you know, that's part of why we um, provide our guidelines so transparently, right? That can be a, a tool for the pay, for the provider to explain, hey, you know what? This is evidence-based medicine. This is this is what is accepted as clinically appropriate. You know, you're better off um, trying this approach. Like it is clinically proven to be to deliver the best possible outcome for you and your health. Um, and you know, I'm your physician. I, I care about you, and I want to make sure that you're getting the best the best care um, you can get. Now, um, this sounds a little bit the this. Does, does this sound, it sounds to me like value-based care, a value-based care model. Is this modeled at all on um, value-based care uh, in terms of? Yeah, ab absolutely. So, you know, in order to have value-based care, again, you need to have all of the key stakeholders on the same page, right? There needs to be set rules of engagement. There needs to be an agreement that, you know, providers will be rewarded based on quality, not necessarily uh, utilization. So we see improving prior authorization as a really important step toward value-based care. Um, you know, we we also partner and, and talk with a number of groups that are actively, um, you know, managing populations under risk. We're able to help them get a better view into their population, helping them to get a better view of physician quality, right? That's a key part of value-based care, rewarding high performers. Mm -hmm. um, so that absolutely is our, our focus um, and kind of our, our big picture vision. Um, and frankly, it's why, why I joined the organization um, because I want to be a part of um, an organization that's you know, moving our delivery system from one that is volume based, one that's transaction, uh, to one that's you know illuminating care, to one that's rewarding value, um, and delivering better results. Now, now, speaking of AI, I read recently that um, insurers are starting to use AI to process claims and prior authorization. Does that? How does that affect? prior authorization, if at all? Yeah, so I, I think we're seeing AI across the delivery system, right? Artificial intelligence, technology, machine learning um, are all really important tools um, that, are, that are helping the delivery system, including insurers, automate decisions, right? Whether it's claims, whether it's prior authorization. Um, and so it's all it's all interconnected. And what it really shows is there's an appetite, especially among health health plans, um, to reduce unnecessary um, expense on administrative processes, right? There's an appetite to bring greater efficiency to um, the claims payment process to revenue cycle management to utilization management. Um, and so I think over the next, you know, let's say five, 10 years, we're going to see a proliferation of AI um, in all verticals of healthcare, but especially when it comes to automating, um, you know, antiquated processes, automating um, administrative functions. So this is where Cohere sees the future of prior authorization. It, uh... In AI, yeah. So we we see the 
future of prior authorization as something that can be and should be um, automated. And, and so we think that if, you know, we can have greater automation of functions like prior authorization, that frees up not only physicians and their staff, right, to do what they do best, caring for patients, um, but that also allows health plans to then start thinking about, okay, what's the next, you know, bite of the apple? What's the next issue within our, our organization that we want to solve? Is it, you know, value-based network designs with physicians? Is it, um, you know, incorporating social determinants of health data into some of our programs, right? It, it kind of takes the focus away from these programs and processes that can be automated that should kind of be, you know, running along in the background. Um, and it frees up time, space, and resources to really be laser focused on, you know, what are the things that I can do um, to take, you know, the delivery of care to the next level. Um, so we're really excited about that um, because it, again, kind of highlights the focus that mm -hmm. if we can improve these underlying kind of more infrastructure processes, um, we're just kind of pushing our delivery system as a whole to the next level of care, which can and should be value-based care. Does your AI, I'm just thinking about this move for um, insurers whose doctors are, are using AI to respond to claims that um, I think are resulting in more denials. Uh, I'm, so how does, how does Cohere Health's AI combat something like that? Sure. So again, our focus is non-denial approaches to utilization management, right? So at the end of the day, our technology is using guidelines from um, the academies, from mm -hmm. CMS, from the health plans, right? And then we're taking that and applying an approach that gets the patient's care to a yes, right? So a, a denial-based approach, again, is, is that kind of antiquated approach, yes or no, you can, you know, proceed to this, this care or you cannot. Um, but we like to think that we're able to help reroute to the most clinically appropriate um, step in their care, whether it's physical therapy, like in the example I, I shared before. Mm -hmm. um, but we know that a denial approach, you know, that's, that's not going to save dollars at the end of the day, right? If a patient is denied care and isn't given an alternative, they're probably just going to go find another physician who will get them a yes. Um, so we're able to help them get to the right yes um, while being on a care path that's that's clinically appropriate. Um, and you know the numbers speak for themselves. Um, we're able to save health plans significantly more. Um, through our approach, then they would experience through those very denial focused approaches. And what's most important is, you know, we know at the end of the day, a denial focused approach is not what's right for the patient. What's right for the patient is what is deemed to be clinically appropriate, whether it's a yes or a no or something different. So would it be a fair characterization to say it's sort of an anticipation AI? 
Colliers. Say more about anticipation AI. Obviously, these models were created by you mm -hmm. know using data from, as you said, the insurers, from the providers, from different places. That's how the mm -hmm. AI has been trained. So right. the AI then knows, and tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, the, I'm yeah. just you know, trying to work this out. So the AI kind of knows based on the insurance or the insurer, what is going to be approved and what's not going to be approved. And so it sort of anticipates um, the potential response and sort of, as you said, reroutes the provider, yep. put them on the right path to get to the approval. Got it. Okay. Yes. I. That is a characterization I haven't heard before, but I think it's one that definitely matches what we do, right? So our technology is taking in thousands and thousands of auth requests. Our engineers are some of the most you know, brilliant people I've ever met in healthcare, and they're training the technology to do just as you say, to anticipate based on the data, based on other cases like this, what's what's likely to happen, you know, if they proceed down the surgery path, what is the spend? What is, what are the results? Is it clinically inappropriate? And how can we get the patient on the path that they really should be on? That's, that's clinically appropriate. So yes, the technology is super smart. It's probably thinking, you know, five steps ahead of all of us. Um, and it's able to, uh, you know, support the right thing for the patient's care. This is amazing. Alina Chekai of Cohere Health. Thank you so much for explaining this. I feel so much smarter now <laughs> after listening. It's <laughs> not a great feeling. Well, thank you so much for having me. Always, you know, love the opportunity to to meet other, you know, thinkers in the healthcare space and to just share a bit more about how we see the world and and what we're doing to to try to change it. Thanks for listening to Urban Health Weekly today. I hope you'll join me and my friends next week so you can stay informed and inspired to take control of your health. See you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.